Please join me in prayer. God of the past, the present and the future, we give you thanks for the prophets, for their words of love and comfort, of joy and hope and peace, but also their words of challenge. Open our hearts and minds today as we reflect on their message, in particular as we reflect on how Jesus is the centre of their message. May our reflections and our following actions bear much fruit to your glory and serve to grow your kingdom in this place. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our sermon series that we're in the midst of during Advent is entitled Adventurally, The Meaning in the Waiting. And today is our second part. And I've entitled this one, What Are You Waiting For? What Are You Waiting For? So we have our Advent wreath here behind me. And the second candle today represents the prophets from the Old Testament. In particular, we focus today on the prophecies about the one who is to come, the Christ. Now, the prophets that we talk about spoke into several times and seasons. They spoke into their own situation and the near future. They spoke into the time of Jesus, the Messiah. And they also spoke about the fulfillment of God's plans at some time in the future. So it can be a little bit confusing reading these passages and trying to understand them. Perhaps a helpful metaphor is that of a telescope, that we have with a telescope the capacity to look at something that's reasonably close, that's mid-range, and then that's something that is way, 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 a long way away. And we can see all three of those things through the same lens. We just have to adjust the lens. And each of these visions that we see, close, mid-range, long-term, they each reveal their own reality and truth. Well, I think the prophecies are like that. They help us to understand that a bit better. But they leave us with the question, what are we waiting for? So Advent invites us into prophetic waiting. And prophetic waiting looks eagerly for signs of God's salvation in our midst. It looks backwards, remembering God's glorious salvation in the past. It looks forward to the time in the future when it will break forth again. And it also shows all around us signs of God's presence now. The Gospel writers, in particular Matthew and Luke, who are the two who have infancy narratives, but all of the Gospel writers, pick up on several aspects of the Messiah prophecies. And they use them to support their own particular emphases in their, in their storytelling, in their Gospel. But the key focus that comes through is Emmanuel, God with us. God with us in our past, 
in our present and in our future. God breaking into our human reality to transform it as a part of God's bigger plan. And ultimately, that's what we're celebrating at Christmas in just a few weeks' time. So Advent invites us to continue the search for God's presence in all things and to live it out today. I've chosen two passages from the prophet Isaiah for us to focus on largely today. And these are both classic Advent and Christmas prophecies. They're cheerful, they're encouraging, and they're speaking of light and hope. Now, many of you will be familiar with the music, um, or the beautiful piece of music, choral music, Handel's Messiah. And you may well know that and be singing along when you read these words. But it's based on the part of our first reading today. Now, both of these readings can be very easily taken out of context because most of Isaiah is far less cheery, far less encouraging. In fact, large parts of it are downright discouraging and quite dark. Other prophets, and we might think of perhaps Amos, also spoke of such impending despair and gloom. The day of the Lord is a term that's used by prophets. And it was seen by Israel as the victorious raising up of them as a nation and the bringing in of peace for all time. And Messiah was the awaited one that would herald that in. By the time of Jesus, we can see the disciples and others, as we read the Gospels, really struggling with Jesus' teaching that God's bringing in of his kingdom was actually going to be quite different from what they were expecting and hoping for. So rather than a light that shone after the darkness had passed, God's showing us that the light shines in the darkness. And that's picked up in John's Gospel in the prologue. Jesus fulfilled the ancient prophecies in a surprising way by weaving light into the shade of the present world. And it's this light shining in the darkness for which we wait. The season of Advent calls us to readjust our eyes in that darkness, in the midst of the darkness, so that we can see glimmers of the light of the world that glow and point us towards the ultimate time in the future when all shall be fulfilled. There's a beautiful poem by John Donne. It's a prayer, really. It's called Our Last Awakening. It says, Bring us, O Lord God, at our last awakening, into the house and gate of heaven, to enter into that gate and dwell in that house, where there shall be no darkness nor dazzling, but one equal light. No noise, nor silence, but one equal music. No fears or hopes, but one equal possession. No ends, nor beginnings, but one equal eternity. 
in the habitations of thy majesty and glory, world without end. Amen. What a great vision for us to hold on to during Advent. But remembering that the light shines in the midst of the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it, but neither does it cancel it out. And so this passage here is also from Isaiah, but it's from a completely different, it has a completely different tone to it. Chapters 1 to 39 in Isaiah are quite different to this. This is chapter 40, sorry, <laughs> chapter 40. And it's probably written in the 6th century BCE, not the 8th century BCE, a couple of hundred years earlier, which most of the other passages were. So it sort of comes a little bit out of context in a sense, but it seems to come at the end of the Babylonian exile when they were about to be released and sent back home again. And God is preparing them not only for their own return home, but for God's return as well. The opening verse is difficult to translate into English. It's a plural command, not a singular one, which we just don't pick up in our language. God isn't telling his prophet to go and comfort the people. He's more asking, who is there out there who will comfort my people? Who is there, plural, out there who will comfort my people? God is searching for people to bring comfort. And not only that, but to speak to the heart of Jerusalem. So not only does the English make this difficult, but the NRSV translation, which we use in church, doesn't quite capture the full interpretation here. It's generally pretty good, but here it's not just a little bit off. Yes, the message will be tender, but more importantly, it must speak to the very heart of the people. It will comfort their brokenness, but also resonate truthfully and deeply within them. Jerusalem, the place where God dwelt with his people, is to take comfort because God will return. Now, there are very, there's a series of different voices speaking in this passage. Firstly, in verse 1, it's God speaking. And then in verse 3, it's an unnamed voice. In verse 6, we have the same or perhaps a different voice. We're not sure. And in verse 6, the I probably refers to the prophet. In verse 9, Zion or Jerusalem is commanded to speak. And we might think of this a bit like a relay race where the runners pass a baton on from one runner to another. God calls a message of comfort and voice after voice picks it up until Jerusalem itself is commanded to speak. But what's really noteworthy here is that Jerusalem, the recipient of the message of comfort, becomes the means for passing it on throughout the whole of Judah. Jerusalem itself is to be transformed 
from a broken, bruised city of mourning into one that vibrantly proclaims God's presence, not just experiences it, but proclaims it. See, the Lord is coming. Now, the passage is making an important point here. Comfort is not just about passively receiving a message of tenderness. But it's about the transformation that arises from a deep recognition of truth and knowledge of God. Once the people can truly recognise that God is coming back, then they become the means by which this message is proclaimed. Now, any teacher worth their salt knows that the best way to reinforce learning is to enable the student to become the teacher. Jerusalem's proclamation of God's return requires its people not just to receive the message of comfort, but to comprehend it and understand it, to take it into themselves and make it their own so that they, in their turn, can proclaim it to others. They were called to a very active form of waiting, to hear the message, to grasp it, to make it their own, and to pass it on. We use the term, prepare a way for the Lord. We hear it in the mouth of John the Baptist. We hear it in Isaiah. Preparing a way for the Lord is forms the basis of the motto for the Order of Sisters that I uh, love very dearly. They're dwindling in numbers, but their, their mission and ministry is very important still. Their motto is to prepare a place in our own hearts and minds, to prepare a place for God, sorry, in our own hearts and minds and in the world in which we live. This is the call of the prophet. To prepare a place for God in our own hearts and minds and in the world in which we live. It's the key message of and it's the task of the prophets in different times and contexts. And as I said, of course, it's picked up by John the Baptist and we'll, we'll talk about him next week. But part of our preparing the way for God is in our willingness and our capacity to wait. And there's no more helpful time for this than as we journey through Advent. Advent invites us to observe and to join in with the collapsing of time. Prophecies that spoke into the situations of the 8th and the 6th centuries BCE become revived and renewed in the 1st century CE. And prophecies that were relevant for the 1st century become relevant again for our time here in the 21st century. The beams of hope spoken so long ago, God is with us, were picked up and perfectly fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And these same prophecies can become for us today this same beam of hope. 
Similarly, God's message of comfort intended for those coming out of exile can still ring in our ears all these years later, just as it did 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. Past collapses into present, present into future, future into the past, and so on. We live in a very linear understanding of time. God's understanding of time is much more cyclical than linear. And we lose so much with our sense of there's a beginning, there's an end, and yet the bit in, the, in between and that's it. That's not the way God thinks and it's not the way God works in the world. That's not the time into which God has invited us to live and to contribute. Advent invites us to inhabit what we might call a swirl of time that stretches both forwards and backwards. And by doing so, it actually anchors us in the present. And it's by living in the midst of this swirling, collapsing time that God can remind us of what is important about our lives right now the Alpha and the Omega speak for all times and all situations. And Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, embraces the fullness of God's love and promise and fulfilment across the ages. And yet it so perfectly fits into our time and situation too. As we manage the ongoing challenges of COVID, especially today as we're back on Zoom, because some of us have been exposed to COVID this week, but as we manage all of the ongoing challenges of COVID, plus the others in our lives as well, we're asked with the prophets to prepare a way, to prepare the way for God. But we're also invited to recognise God as the light in the midst of the darkness, as the one who has and does and will break into our lives when we open our hearts and minds enough to notice, to acknowledge and to invite him in. And so we return to our question for today. What are you waiting for? And the answer is, Straightforward, but it is nothing, but nothing like being simple. We're waiting for God's kingdom. We're waiting for the glimmers of light that mark Jesus' presence in our midst. We're waiting for the frag fragments of the peace of the end times to break in upon us. And whilst we wait, we're called to join with people from across all generations in praying for the kingdom, the coming in of God's kingdom. And whilst we wait, we are called to announce Jesus' presence in our midst and to seek to bring about more and more moments of the peace of the end times in our world today. We're waiting, 
but our waiting should in no way be seen or misinterpreted as passive waiting. Our Advent waiting is to be active, it's to be vibrant, it's to be passionate, it's to be inviting, it's to be contagious, and it is to be transformative. So what are you waiting for? The Lord be with you.